Hi, I'm Evangelist Donald Perkins of According to Prophecy Ministries, and I want to welcome you to a presentation entitled The Reality of Hell. Now, before we get into that message, I want to mention some of the materials that we have. We have a website, which is www.according2prophecy.org. Uh, we've been online since 1995, and we have a lot of material there. We're also a part of the social media uh, uh uh, pro, uh, sites, uh, Facebook, Parler, Twitter. Uh, you can go to uh, these and you can, you can keep up with the ministry that way as well. We're part of the Truly Family Entertainment Network. We have a lot of material uh, uh, videos there, as well as our official YouTube channel. You can find us there. And then we're part of His Channel. Uh, this is the His Channel Network, uh, television network. You can go there. We have a, a weekly program that airs every Thursday at 7.30 Pacific Coast time. Our program is called Your Future in Bible Prophecy. It's a 30-minute program designed to teach and help you understand Bible prophecy. So I want to encourage you to stop by and go to the website and just uh, uh, you, can, you can learn a lot about our ministry. Now, uh, the message today, as we shared earlier, is entitled The Reality of Hell. And what I'd like to always do before we uh, go into a message, I'd like to uh, open in prayer. So we're going to open in prayer now. Father, we love you. What an honor it is and a privilege to first stand before you. It's an honor and a privilege, oh, oh God, to come before your people. Lord, as, as we go into your word, I ask today that you would breathe afresh on this message. Lord, dissolve doubts, remove fears, oh God, and help us understand the reality of this judgment that your scripture declares. Lord, let this message uh, stir our hearts. Let it give us a burden for the harvest. Uh, let it give us a, a hunger for those that are not saved. And Lord, even let it uh, challenge us, oh God, to, to walk uh, on the straight and narrow. Let it, let it convict us and, and, and challenge us. Now, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we just glorify you now. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. The reality of hell. Now, this is a message, again, it's not popular because a lot of people don't like to uh, teach on it, but it's a message that really needs to be taught. Not only that, uh, I made statements many, many times that whenever the church does not deal with uh, prophetic issues, the devil will always make an attempt. And I'll explain what that means uh, as we go forward. Now, I want to start off with a verse here. In, uh, in Psalms 9, uh, we're going to look at number 17. Uh, this is a very powerful quote. The psalmist wrote, he says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Powerful statement. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. You know, we're going to see that hell was designed uh, for the wicked. Uh, we're going to see that God uh, has, 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 has prepared this place for those who choose to reject him. And again, we're going to see that. But he said, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. I want to give another verse here. Psalm, uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 1. Uh, uh, I love this passage so much because this is going to really help us to understand this type of message on hell and why we should teach it. Uh, in Proverbs 11, 1, the scripture reads, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, I love this, this passage so much. As a matter of fact, I apply this passage to everything uh, that I hear, uh, see, and read uh, when it comes to the word of God. Uh, here uh, in Proverbs, it says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, what that means is this. A lot of times we, we spend so much time on the love of God that we don't see the, the, uh, the judgment of God or we don't see the sovereign sovereignty of God. You know, people say God is a God of love. That is true. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. But you got to understand, even though God is a God of love, he's also a God of justice. Uh, even though he's a God of love, he's a sovereign God, and God has every right to judge those who choose to reject him. So everything about God is balanced. You know, he's a loving God, but he's a just God. The scripture says it's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And you must understand that. So we must have a, uh, have a proper balance when it comes to the word of God. And I believe that this message today is the balance. We need, to, we need to understand heaven. We need to understand that God is a God of love. But we need to understand that there is judgment for those who disobey or turn against God. Now, I want to bring in our prophecy chart. And again, this is a chart of time. Uh, and again, what we're going to do in this message, 
message. We're going to cover uh, this part of the chart, looking at the reality of hell. We're going to go in depth and we're going to, we're going to find out about the five compartments of hell. You know, the scripture tell us a lot about hell. Again, we're going to see that uh, as we go forward uh, in the study. Now, I am a topical teacher. So we're going to look at a number of topics. I'm going to hit some of them pretty fast, but I'm going to give you topics and we're going to go through them. So the first topic we're going to look at, what are scholars saying about hell? So I'm going to quote some scholars in, in regards to what they uh, say about it. Then we're going to look at the definition of hell. I want to define hell for him. I'll give you a definition of hell. Then we're going to see false views of hell. And again, here I'm going to show you false views of hell that's being taught out there. There are a lot of views out there that are totally unbiblical, and a lot of people have bought into them because they don't know the scriptures. Then we're going to see who created hell. The Word of God is going to tell us who created hell. Many of you may be surprised to find out who did. Then we're going to look at hell is not a parable. And what I'm doing, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Hell is not a parable. We're going to see it. Then we're going to look at the five compartments of hell. I'm going to show you biblically that the Bible gives us five different compartments of hell or the underworld. And again, I'm going to give you scripture and verse on, on each one of those. Okay. Then we're going to look at hell is eternal. You know, some people teach that hell is not eternal, but it is. Uh, some teach that when a person goes there that they will either burn up. Uh, some have even taught that hell's going to burn out. Well, we're going to see based on the scripture, is hell, is this judgment called hell, is it eternal? And we're going to see that it is. Then we're going to look at where is hell located. I'm going to show you from the scripture where hell is located. And then lastly, we're going to close up the end of Satan in Hell. So this is going to be an action-packed uh, study. And again, I encourage you to get your notebooks and pads out as we go through the Word of God. Now, what scholars are saying about hell? So I'm going to give you some views from some of the scholars. I want to quote here. This is Pastor uh, Mark Rutland. Listen to what he said. He said, none should be allowed to shout about hell who haven't whispered in terror, God save me. None should be allowed to mention hell to the lost without tender, desperate concern in the word, uh, in every word. None should be allowed to preach a sermon on hell unless it ends with an invitation to receive heaven. I love that. You know, this message uh, called hell is a real message, and, and we must understand the gravity of this message. Uh, and he said that uh, none should be allowed to preach a sermon on hell unless it ends with an invitation to choose heaven. I love that statement so much. Now I'm going to give you another quote here. We're going to quote Dr. Albert Moeller from the book Hell Under Fire in the section called The Disappearance of Hell. Listen to what Dr. Moeller says. He said, the sudden disappearance of hell amounts to a theological mystery of sort. How did a doctrine so uh, centrally enshrined in the system of theology suffer a, whole, a wholesale abandonment? What can explain this radical reordering of Christian theology? He goes on to say, uh, the answer to this mystery reveals much about the fate of Christianity in the modern world and warns of greater theological compromises on the horizon. For as the church has continually been reminded, no doctrine stands alone. Each doctrine is, in, uh, is embedded in a system of theological convictions and expressions. Take out the doctrine of hell and the entire shape of Christian theology is altered. You know, the doctrine of hell is that counterbalance uh, in theology. If you remove the doctrine of hell, it's going to mess up everything else you believe in Scripture. And again, this is the problem because this message is not taught a lot. And guess what? It really needs to be taught. We need to have the counterbalance in Scripture. And again, this is so powerful. Now, I want to quote here from the book, Is Hell for Real or Does Everyone Go to Heaven? And uh, this is an amazing quote here in regards to hell. Listen at this. Uh, I, I love this quote so much. Listen to what he says. It's tempting to avoid such topics in our preaching. 
but neglecting unpleasant doctrines of historical faith will often bring about uh, counterintuitive consequences. There is an ecological balance in scripture, in scripture truth that we cannot risk disturbing. Listen to this. If we avoid difficult or harsh doctrines within the historical Christian faith, we might find to our surprise that we have gutted pleasant and cherished beliefs too. He goes on to say this, in the end, the, the loss of the doctrine of hell, judgment, and the holiness of God does irreparable damage to our deepest comforts, particularly our understanding of God's grace and love and of human dignity and our value to him. To preach the good news, we must also preach the bad or preach the judgment or the balance. Again, we've got to have that balance. Can't have a false balance. Got to preach the truth. I love this definition uh, because, you know, if you tamper with it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do irreparable damage uh, through the word of God. So we must understand what the Bible says. Now, I'm going to give you one more quote here from the book again, Hell Under Fire. Listen at this. It says, few congregations hear such warnings today. As a matter of fact, preachers who would dare to offer such uh, graphic descriptions of hell and its terror today would likely be considered eccentric or worse. A major news magazine surmised hell's disappearance succinctly. By, uh, by most accounts, it has all but disappeared from the pulpit, pulpit rhetoric of mainline Protestantism. And it has fared only marginally better among evangelicals. This message must be taught in the, in the church. We must understand this judgment. Now, I will agree with you. Uh, it's not a message that, that you want to hear all the time. It's, it wasn't a message that I wanted to hear either. But you know, so I'm so glad, uh, you know, that when the Lord challenged me to, to start understanding it from Scripture, it gave me a whole different perspective. Uh, it gave me a whole different burden uh, for the loss. Uh, and it really helped me to understand that, that, that the Word of God is true. And again, we're going to see as we go forward. Now, I want to define hell. Um, I want to define this, 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 this place called hell. What is hell? I'm going to give you a few definitions here. Listen at this. The existence of hell is irrefutably taught in the scripture as both a place of the wicked dead and a condition of retribution for unredeemed mankind. Uh, hell, the word, carries the connotation of doom, hopelessness, and futility. Hell, its meaning is clear. It represents the place of future retribution, the abode of the wicked, a place of punishment. Now, this definition, uh, I'm telling you, this, this is a strong definition about hell. Uh, it's a place where, where the judgments of God will be carried out on those who reject God. Uh, uh, hell, the word, it says that it carries the connotation of doom, hopelessness, and futility. You need a reality of this place. You know, many people today, they live their lives as if there are no judgments coming. Many people live their lives as if that there will never be a hell and therefore they can live and do what they want to do. You know, there's coming a day where mankind's going to pay, uh, pay a, a major price uh, in regards to their rejection of God. When God has done everything he, can, uh, everything he can as a loving God to redeem humanity. Now, I'm going to go on with the definition here. Hell is therefore both a condition of retribution and a place in which the retribution occurs. In both these aspects, the three basic ideas associated with the concept of hell is reflected. Number one, it's an absence of righteousness. Number two, a separation from God. And number three, eternal judgment. Listen, my friend, if you're not born again today, you don't want to go to hell. If you're not born again today, I want to challenge you. Receive Christ today before it's too late. Listen, hell is real. It's absent of righteous. It's, it's a separation from God, and it's an eternal judgment that God uh, has pronounced on those who have turned their back on him and those who choose to disobey him. Now, we're going to move a step further, and what we're going to look, look now, we're going to look at false views on hell. And I like this part of the study because, again, if this message is not taught scripturally, then you're going to have a lot of false teaching out there that's going to give you a whole different warped view from the scriptures, a warped view that's not, not based on the scriptures. And, again, the Lord wants you to understand from the scriptures. So what I'm going to do here, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna show, I'm gonna start it with a video clip. Uh, this is from a, this is from a, a little sitcom, a series uh, that aired uh, in the 70s. As a matter of fact, uh, 1973, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. was the star. The program was called uh, The Poor Devil. Now, I was about 14 years old when I saw this, uh, saw this, 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 this sitcom, and you know, it, it really affected me. I wasn't a Christian at the time, and uh, when I saw this. You know, it made me it made me have a different perspective uh, about about heaven and hell. Uh, and again, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the world's view. This is how the world think about hell. Now, I'm going to play a clip for you. And in the clip is going to start off with some offices. You're going to see people down in office. You hear typing and stuff and and listen to the guy. He's going to talk about people coming to hell with certain uh, contracts and stuff like that. But you're going to see Sammy Davis Jr. as he's talking with this lady. And in hell, you see Sammy Davis throwing coals on the fire. Now, when I was a little kid, when I first saw that movie, I saw this thing, I said, you know, when I go to hell, that's the job I want. I mean, I didn't know no better. I'm, I'm thinking that this is how hell was. So I want you to watch this clip uh, as, as, as you look at the poor devil, and then I'm going to come back on the other side of it. Attention, all new arrivals to hell. Please have the pink, yellow, and green forms completely filled out. All new arrivals entering on seven-year contracts must have the aforementioned forms as well as notarized copies of contracts or documented proof thereof. Hello, furnace room. Sammy speaking. Sammy, this is Chelsea. Hi, baby. You remember the man that you've been watching? The one that you keep insisting is a hot prospect? Yeah? Well, I've got him here on the monitor, and you were right. Really? He's exactly what you've been waiting for. Can you come up right now? Oh, honey, if I come up there now and Lucifer catches me, I'm going to be in all kinds of trouble. Oh, honey, you can't get in more trouble than what you are right now. Come on up, Sammy. You're right. See ya. not a thief. Sammy, I, I don't understand. Chelsea, if he's not a thief, that means he's got to be pretty desperate to be doing what he's doing, right? Yeah. Well, Lucifer himself says that when someone's really desperate, that's the time they'll sell their soul. Hey, maybe you're right. Now, wasn't that amazing? Now, in this clip, Sammy Davis Jr. was talking about people selling their souls. You know, this guy, you know, he, he was desperate. So at that point, the devil can, can, can negotiate with you to, to sell your soul to the devil. And again, again, this is the world's concept of hell. But I want you to understand something, saints, that Satan does not control hell. In hell, there are not offices and, 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 and contracts people can sign. You know, listen, that's a lie of the enemy. Uh, but again, we're looking at false views that are taught in the marketplace about hell. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna show you another one. Look at this one. Now this is a this is another uh, uh, series that aired. Uh, it was entitled Lucifer. And again, uh, you had this this suave, debonair-looking gentleman here. Uh, but he he was he was Lucifer. So let me read this. The premise of this particular sitcom. The premise. The series focused on Lucifer, the Morning Star. It was played by Tom Ellis a beautiful and powerful angel who was cast out of heaven for his betrayal. As the devil, Lucifer tires of the millennia, he spent being the Lord of hell, punishing people, 
becoming uh, increasingly bored and, un and unhappy with, uh, with his life down there in hell. Now, this is from Wikipedia. Now, this, this particular series aired, uh, evidently Satan, you know, he was tired being in hell and tired of tormenting people. And the series says, you know, he went to, I guess, uh, Los Angeles or L.A. area and he, he created a, re a, a restaurant and just, just crazy, wacky stuff. I want you to understand something. This is not the devil. This is not hell. Lucifer uh, does not control hell. He's not down in hell tormenting people. Uh, he cannot get bored of hell. As a matter of fact, the devil, we're going to see as we go forward, the devil is afraid of hell. But again, because if we don't teach it proper, people are going to get a false view. Now, I want to show you a doctrine of devils. Now, this is a false teaching here. Again, if the church don't teach it, the devil will always make an attempt. Uh, I remember some years back, I, I went to the grocery store. I'm always looking at, the, looking at the aisles, and a periodical appeared from uh, U.S. News and World Report. The article was entitled, uh, Hell, a New Vision of the Netherworld. Now, this article, I'm telling you, when I saw this, I bought two copies because I couldn't believe that U.S. News and World Report was dealing with the subject of hell. If you look at the picture there, you sh they show you Satan in hell. He has his Bermuda shorts on. He has a drink in his hand. Uh, here you see a demon also there serving, uh, serving some drinks down there in hell. And then in the background, you see people playing volleyball in hell. You know something? This is unbiblical. As a matter of fact, uh, who's going to be down in hell around all that fire uh, relaxing like that? That's unbiblical. And I'm going to quote some things from this article. You got to be very, very careful these days when these type of periodicals deal with biblical issues. And I'm going to give you another uh, article. This one appeared uh, in Time magazine. It's entitled, What If There's No Hell? And this article was from the book called Love Wins by a, a popular uh Christian, so-called Christian pastor, Rob Bell. I'm going to talk to you about that, a quote from that. Uh, Time magazine grabbed, the, grabbed this article. They made it a cover story because it's a message coming against the biblical view of hell. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to quote from both of these uh, articles, I mean magazines here, and show you again the false views of hell. So first of all, we're going to look here at U.S. News and World Report. Now, I'm going to quote here from page 45. Listen to what it says. With, with fire and brimstone out of fashion, modern thinking says the netherworld isn't, isn't so hot after all. After all, This page 45. They say, so modern thinkers say hell is not as hot after all. Uh, it goes on, it says, an influential Jesuit magazine uh, with close ties to the Vatican, uh, hell, the magazine declared, is not a place but a state uh, a state, a person's state of being in which a person suffers from deprivation of God. A few days later, uh, Pope John Paul II told an audience uh, at the Vatican that rather than a place, hell indicates the state of those who freely and definitely separate themselves from God. To describe this God-forsaken condition, the pontiff said, the Bible uses symbolic language that figuratively portrays in a pool of fire those who exclude themselves from the book of life, thus meeting uh, with a second death. Again, this is a bunch of gobbledygob. This is false teaching. You know, uh, hell is not a symbol, a symbolic place. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna talk about that as we go forward. This is a false view of hell that the Pope gave, but it's quoted in this article. I'm gonna go a little further. Here's another quote here on page 50. The article said, many theological thinkers continue to reject any notion of hell that smacks of the supernatural. For them, hell's frightful imagery is pale by the flames of Hiroshima and the Holocaust. The only real hell, they say, is the here and now. How many times have you witnessed the people and they say, man, I'm in hell right now. Uh, I've, had, I've had people tell me that. I say, you know something, brother? You're not in hell now. I say, you're in heaven compared to the reality of hell. And I begin to minister to them. Listen, listen, I don't care how bad it is. This is nothing compared to the judgment of hell. But this article, again, it gives a false view of hell. I'm going to give you another quote from the, from the magazine. Uh, this is on page 47. Listen at this. This section is called the temporal hell. Listen at this. They say, once we discovered we could create hell on earth, says one scholar, it became silly to think about it in a literal sense. Oh, yeah? You think because, because you know, we, we're so smart that we can, we, can, we, can, uh, we can push the flames of hell away? 
Uh, I don't think so. You got to be very, very careful with these so-called scholars sometimes, too, because you, got, you, got, you also have unbiblical scholars as well. The author goes on to say this, Moreover, the Pope declared that hell is not a punishment imposed eternally by God, but is a natural consequence of an unrepentant sinner's choice to live apart from God. The thought of hell, said the Pope, must not create anxiety or despair but is a necessary and healthy reminder of freedom. Now, again, this, that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, he said, hell, the teaching of hell should not bring anxiety and despair. You know something? When you got a reality of hell, it should bring anxiety and despair because you got to understand that this place is real. This is not something you play with or joke around with. Hell is real. The author goes on to say, this modern and more benign view of hell, scholars say, reflect a shift in much of Christian theology during the past 150 years away from uh, uh, literalism, uh, literalism and physical imagery toward more metaphors and symbols. See, they don't, they, they don't want to believe in a literal hell. They, want, they only want to give you symbols and stuff like that, metaphors, because if they give you metaphors and symbols, then you can easily explain away hellfire or the judgments of hell. I'm going to show you that hell is real, hell is biblical, and again, you must understand it from the scripture. Now, I'm a quote from another magazine. We're still looking at false views about hell. This is from the Time Magazine article, If There's No Hell, and they're quoting Rob Bell. This, uh, he used to be the pastor of a church called Mars Hills. It was a large mega church, uh, and he erred in his way because he wrote this book, and this book is totally contrary to scripture. But look at what he says, listen to what he says. He said, hell is not forever, and love in the end wins and all will be reconciled from God. Now that statement sounds good, but I want you to understand something. That's not a biblical statement. Uh, now love does win uh, when it's done the way the Bible says, but I want you to understand hell is forever and everybody will not, will not miss hell. People who reject God, they're gonna face the full judgment of God uh, and they're gonna have a reality of hell. All won't be reconciled. Reconciled means that you've been made friends with God. All will not be made reconciled to God because that reconciliation is based on your choice. If you choose God, you will be reconciled to him. You'll be made friends. If you reject God, if you don't believe in God, if you, you, you reject everything about God, then guess what? You're going to meet the justice and the judgment of God. Now, this particular view that Rob Bell is presented in this magazine, uh, in his book, uh, Love Wins, is not a new one. It's, it's called universalism. Uh, and it's, it's a belief basically that, uh, that in the end, everybody will be saved. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to go back to the book called Is Hell for Real or Does Everyone uh, Go to Hell? And in this book, J.I. Packer is going to define what is universalism. Okay, listen at this. A Christian universalist is someone who believes that every human being will finally come to enjoy everlasting salvation. Among competing worldviews, it appears as an extreme optimism about the future. Each and every one of us, it declares, and all of us together will end up in a state of supreme God-given bliss. That's not true. Because based on a person's choice, either they're going to accept God or they're going to reject him. Either they're going to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior or they're going to reject him. And if you accept him, you have the benefits of salvation. If you reject him, you will meet the justice of God. Again, remember that balance, false balance? He's a God of love. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. But also he's a just God. He's a sovereign God. He's a God that makes the rules. And again, so this doctrine is called universalism. Everybody will not, will not wind up in heaven. Uh, everybody will not uh, uh, eventually get saved in the end. Your choice determines uh, where you're going to spend eternity. Now, we're moving forward in the study. Now, let's look at the section called Who Created Hell? You know, the Bible is quite clear in reference to who created hell. We're going to see who created hell. I want you to look at the screen here. Who created hell? The answer is given God, Father God, the God of heaven, the God who so loved the world, who gave his only begotten son, that very loving God created hell. 
And let me share with you and show you some scriptures that's going to help you. This is the book of Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 41. Here, Jesus is, is actually uh, talking about the judgment of Satan. And in this statement, we're going to get a clue that hell was a created place. Look at this. Matthew 25, 41. Jesus said, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now here, uh, Matthew 25, this is at the end of the great tribulation when, when the Bible said when Jesus come back in the second coming and the nations of the world will be brought before him and then he's going to separate the goats, uh, the goats and the sheep. Uh, the sheep nations will go on the right hand and they'll be allowed into the millennial kingdom. The goat nations will be judged. Well, here Jesus says, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. But look what he said. Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, hell was prepared originally for the devil and his angels. You know, it wasn't God's will in the beginning for mankind to go to hell. But when mankind sinned, God had to accommodate the fall of man. Do you not know that hell have enlarged itself? God has enlarged, has, has enlarged in hell uh, to accommodate the fall of man. Let me give you a verse on that. Look at this, the book of Isaiah chapter uh, 5, verses uh, 13 and 14. The prophet wrote this. Uh, God says, Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitudes dry up with thirst. He said, Therefore hell have enlarged itself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitudes and their pulp or their fame, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Isaiah here is telling us that God had to accommodate the fall of man. Scripture says, hell have enlarged herself. Uh, those that are operating in pride and sin who choose to reject God, they will descend into it. Hell is a real place and you must understand it. Hell is for real and you must, you must understand. Now, I'm going to give you quite a few scriptures in this series here. Now, we move into this section called Hell is Not a Parable. And you look at the picture there. You see the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. This is found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. But I want to I say something to you. This is a false view. You know something? There is no parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, when Jesus gave the account, we're going to see that this is an actual account of a man going to hell. Uh, many have tried to say that it's a parable. As a matter of fact, if you look in your Bibles, some of the Bibles uh, that have been printed, some of the commentators, they actually put in that section, they call it the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. When you make it a parable, then you can explain it away. Uh, this is not a parable. We're going to see this is an actual account of a man going to hell. So let me take you to the text. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to explain it as we go through it. This is uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 16. Uh, we're going to start at verse 19 here. And Jesus is giving account of a man going to hell. Uh, look at verse 19. The scripture reads, and Jesus said, and there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So here Jesus is giving the account of a, of a rich man who lived very good in his life. Uh, he ate well every day. Verse 20, he said, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. So you got two men. You got a rich man and you got a poor beggar. Now we're going to see also, too, I like to always say this, this man did not go to hell because he was rich. I'm going to tell you why this man went to hell. But anyway, uh, verse 20, uh, the story talks about Lazarus, this poor beggar. We move on to verse number 21. Uh, Jesus said, And desiring to be fed from the crumbs which uh, uh, which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked him. So Lazarus wanted to eat just the crumbs from the rich man's table. This man would come in and out and he would see Lazarus before his gates, but he had no mercy on Lazarus. Uh, he did not want to help Lazarus. Verse 22, John wrote, I mean, uh, uh, Jesus said, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And uh, Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. Now here, Jesus is talking about both men died. Lazarus died, but Lazarus was carried to Abraham's bosom. I'm going to explain Abraham's bosom when we get to the five compartments. But Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, and then the rich man also died. Uh, and was buried. So both of these men did a natural, they, they both died. Uh, both of these men were naturally buried. So both of them did the same thing. 
but they went to two different places, and we're going to see that as we go forward here. Look at verse 23. Uh, the scripture says, And in hell, Jesus said, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, talking about the rich man, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So here, the rich man, he died, he was buried, but in hell, the scripture said, He lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And it said he looked afar off and he saw Abraham, but he also saw Lazarus in his bosom. Uh, we're going to see that Abraham's bosom was a compartment in the underworld before the cross of Christ where the redeemed, the Old Testament saints who were obedient to the law of Moses, who had an atonement over them, when they died, they were buried, their flesh was buried, but immediately their spirit and soul went into the compartment called Abraham's bosom. Uh, scholars call it the paradise of old. Uh, it was a place of comfort. We're going to see that as we go forward. Now, let's keep going. We're going to look now at verse 24. Jesus, Jesus said, and he cried, talking about the rich man, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now, where the rich man was was a place of torment. He said, Father Abraham, he asked him for mercy. Father Abraham, send Lazarus over there and Lord, dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because where I am is a place of torment. I want you to understand something. When a person goes to hell, they know that they're there. Uh, not only that, but uh, people have taught that when a person die and go to hell, that they, uh, when a person die, uh, they go into what's called soul sleep. Well, that's not true either, because this rich man, he died, he was buried, but the Bible says, but in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. This man knew where he was. He was in a place of torment, and he's begging now for mercy. Now this man is crying for mercy from Father Abraham and Lazarus. But look what Jesus goes on to say in verse number 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime, receivest thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he, Lazarus, is comforted, and thou art torment. This gives us some understanding here. Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, and here uh, Abraham said that where Lazarus is was a place of comfort. He said, but where thou art, where the, where, where the rich man was, was a place of torment. Uh, he was in a place called Hades and Sheol. And I'm going to explain that uh, as we look at the five compartments. Now, go on with the scripture in verse 26 and 27. Uh, Abraham said, And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from, from hence to you cannot, and neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then said he, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Now, Abraham is explaining. He said, listen, a rich man. He said, God has placed a, 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 a guide, I mean, not a guide, a, a divide between where you are and where we are. There's a great gulf between us. We can't get to you and you can't get to us. And when the rich, rich man realized that, that there was no way he can get any help, now this man is going to uh, exhibit some, some mercy or, or some concern and passion for humanity. He, he said, he said, send Lazarus to my father's house. Why? Why does man now have compassion? Why does man want to send Lazarus to his father's house? Look at verse 28. He said, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now this man have mercy and compassion for somebody else. He's thinking about his five brothers who left behind. He said, I don't want my brothers coming to hell. Send Lazarus, do a miracle. Send Lazarus back and, and, and let him warn my brothers lest they come to this place of torment. Listen, saints, hell is real. It's a real place of torment. Jesus understood hell so much that he went to Calvary's cross to die so you can miss that place. Hell is real. Let's go on with the scripture, verse 29. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And this is a powerful statement here. This also shows us prophetic timing because when Jesus is giving this account, he hadn't died for humanity yet. Uh, faith had not, uh, I say faith, uh, 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 the atoning work of, 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 of Christ has not been totally uh, done yet. Christ hadn't died to redeem mankind. So mankind was still under the law of Moses. The law of Moses required them to, to kill a turtle dove, a red heifer, uh, a lamb, a, a turtle dove. Something had to die to cover their sins, meaning an atonement. So during this time, Jesus giving the account, he hadn't died yet, so the law of Moses was still in effect. And Abraham said, your brothers have Moses 
and the prophets. He said, let them hear them. Let these men be obedient to the law of Moses. And if they are obedient to the law of Moses, there will be an atonement on them and they will not come to this place of torment. Then he said, the rich man said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Now, this gives us a clue why the rich man went to hell. He's telling us that he didn't repent. He said, nay, Father Abraham, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. If my brothers saw a miracle, Lazarus risen from the dead, my brothers will repent so they won't come to this place. Implying he didn't repent and that's why he was there. That's why he went there because he didn't yield to God's will. The scripture goes on and said, and he said unto him, Abraham said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Again, Abraham is telling me, if your brothers are not obedient to the law of Moses, those men will die and go to hell. Now today, because Christ did die on the cross and he's given us eternal life, if people don't respond uh, to God's love advance, which is his son, if, if people don't respond to accepting Christ, uh, God's free will, uh, 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 believing on Christ and receiving him as your savior, you will experience the same thing that this rich man did because he didn't yield to the will of God. Today, we surrender our life to God through his son, Jesus Christ. We believe on his death, burial, and resurrection. When you do that, you will have eternal life. Now, I want to give you a parable, though, because some people say, well, okay, give me a parable. Show me a parable about hell. I'm going to give you a parable. I'm going to give you the verses here. I won't have time to go through all of it, but I'm going to give you the parable that Jesus did give about hell. But you know something? This parable, uh, the interpretation of the parable also shows us that hell is a real place. Uh, the parable is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. And here, Jesus is given the parable of the wheat and the tares. And in this parable, he's talking about the wheat and the tares. Now, uh, uh, what, what's so amazing about this is that uh, the interpretation of it really shows a literal hell. Now, in verses uh, 36 through 43 of Matthew 13, uh, it gives the meaning of this parable and it points to a literal hell and not a figurative one. You know, uh, symbols always point to something that's literal. You got to understand that a, a, a symbol points to something that's a reality. So here Jesus gave a parable, but the interpretation of the parable is, is so powerful because it shows a literal hell. So let me look, let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 36, and we're going to see uh, how Jesus interprets the parable. Uh, verse 36, it says, then Jesus, said to, uh, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into his house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field. Give us understanding of this parable you just gave, Jesus. Verse 37, uh, 38. And he answered and said unto them, listen to this, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. So this, this parable is talking about, talking about uh, the, the wheat and the tares uh, in the field, and they're both growing together. But now Jesus is going to define who are the tares, and it's just amazing. He said, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. That's God, Jesus. He said, the field that these seed is sown in is the world. He said, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. You know, this shows us that there are two true people groups or children groups in the, in the, in the world. Either you're a child of God or you're a child of the wicked one. You know, everybody's not a son of God. I mean, even though people claim that. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not born again, you're not serving Jesus, guess what? You're a child of the wicked one. But you know something? You don't have to say that. If you receive Christ today as your Savior, you, you will be a son or daughter of God. Now, I'm going to go on here in verse number 39 and 40. Jesus going on to give the interpretation. He said here, the enemy that sold them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. 
He said, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the furnace, so shall it be in the end of the world. Jesus is given understanding to the parable of the wheat and tares. You get time, read, read that, whole, that whole parable because it's so amazing. But Jesus is giving a literal understanding of what this parable means. Hell is real. He goes on to say here in uh, 41 and 42, he said, the son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. And they shall be cast into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is, is giving a, a literal understanding of a parable that he gave about hell. And the end result of this parable or this, this symbolic parable was that it gave interpretation to a literal hell that mankind is going to face. He goes on here in the latter part of uh, Matthew 13, uh, verse number 43, it says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun and the kingdom of their father who have ears let him hear. Jesus said, you got understanding ears, you better hear what I'm, what I'm about to tell you. He said, the righteous, they shall shine forth as the kingdom. You got to understand that God, you know, he's, he put everything in the scriptures for us to understand. And we, we must understand the word of God. Now, I'm going to bring in our prophecy chart and you're going to see the five compartments of hell. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to list them first. Uh, first one, you see the red, the red circle there. This first one is called Abraham's bosom. The next one is called Hades and Sheol. Uh, the next one there is called Tartarus. Then uh, we see here the next one, the bottomless pit or the abyss. And then the last one is, uh, is the lake of fire or Gehenna. These are the five compartments of hell. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to explain each one of them so you know what, uh, uh, what each one is all about, okay? So we're going to now look at the first one. The first one here is called Abraham's bosom. Uh, scholars call it the paradise of old. Abraham's bosom is a place referred to as the paradise of old. It was a compartment where all the, un uh, where all the righteous dead of the Old Testament were kept. There was no torment or suffering in Abraham's bosom. It was simply a place of holding until the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the price by shedding his blood. At the resurrection of Jesus, Abraham's bosom was emptied and removed from the heart of the earth and is now located in heaven. All captives were set free and resurrected. So Abraham's bosom, as I shared earlier, it was a compartment in the underworld, uh, but it was a place of comfort before the cross. And when Jesus gave the account in Luke 16, prophetic timing, it was perfect because he hadn't died yet. So when the righteous died before the cross, they went to Abraham's bosom. But after Jesus paid the price and, and he, was, he, he died and, and he was resurrected, you know, the Bible said even in the temple that the, 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 uh, the, uh, 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 the, the curtain in the temple was rent from top to bottom. That separation between man and God uh, uh, was no longer. God, uh, through his son Jesus Christ, was making a way for humanity to come into his presence. So Abraham's bosom was the compartment for the redeemed before the cross. Now, let's go to the next compartment. And this one is the compartment called Hades and Sheol. Hades and Sheol, we're going to see here. The term Hades is the Greek form of the word hell. The definition of Hades uh, is as follow. The place or state of departed souls. The term Sheol is the Hebrew word for hell. Uh, in the Hebrew language, the word Sheol is defined as Hades or the world of the dead, as is a subterranean retreat. Its associates and inmates, the grave, hell, the pit. Hades and Sheol are the Greek and Hebrew terms for the word hell. So the reason why I give you this term, the, the Greek and Hebrew form, because a lot of times when you meet Jehovah's Witnesses, they come to you and they try to impress you with their, with their uh, theological terms. Uh, they tell you all hell is the common grave. All hell is, you know, it's Hades and Sheol. And because they, they, they give you the Greek and Hebrew form, uh, uh, that's supposed to impress you enough that, that, that you're just going to let it go. No. Uh, it is a Greek and Hebrew form of the word hell, but Hades and Sheol is a compartment in the underworld where the unredeemed go today. When a person dies and he's not born again, immediately 
His spirit and soul goes to Hades and Sheol. His body is in the earth, but his spirit and soul immediately goes to hell until the last judgment. And you must understand that, just like the rich man, that rich man went to hell because he didn't repent. And guess what? That man is still there now in Hades and Sheol. Now, let's go a little bit further. We, we, we're going a little further here. Next one, I'm going to show you the compartment called Tartarus. Uh, what is Tartarus? Tartarus is the Greek form of the word hell. It is the compartment where fallen angels are kept reserved in chains of darkness until they are judged by God and cast into the final hell, the lake of fire. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and Jude 1. Uh, Jude 1, 6 revealed this. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 4 says this, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. That word hell in the Greek there is Tartarus. Cast them down to Tartarus and deliver them in chains of darkness to be reserved until the judgment. So those angels, what happened back in Genesis, these angels, uh, they tried to cohabitate with men. They tried to get into the seed of man. And what happened, uh, these, these uh, fallen angels, they overstepped their bound and God judged them immediately. These angels that participated on, on this assignment from Satan, God judged them immediately and cast them into Tartarus. Those angels are still to this day in Tartarus. Now, it's not all of Satan's angels, just those that were, that were, that, that were part of this. And the Bible said that they are reserved until the judgment. God's going to judge them in the, in the future. Uh, and I believe that they will be judged at the great white throne. Okay, now we're going a little bit further. Now we're going to look at the next judgment, uh, uh, next part of hell. This is called the abyss of the bottomless pit. The abyss of the bottomless pit is the compartment of hell where Satan will be bound for 1,000 years during the reign of, uh, of Christ uh, on earth, during the millennial kingdom, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7. Also, during the time of great, the Great Tribulation period, it will be the place where these locust-like scorpions, creatures, will come uh, and torment mankind for five months. You find this during the trumpet judgments, Revelation chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through 11. The abyss will not be the eternal home of Satan. Uh, he will be loosed uh, from this prison to be judged and then cast into the lake of fire forever. So the abyss will be a compartment during the millennial kingdom where God is going to bind Satan during the thousand year reign of Christ where he have no influence there. And, and again, he will be released from that prison, but then he'll be cast into the eternal hell. Now, let's give you the last compartment of hell, which is the lake of fire or Gehenna. The lake of fire is the eternal home of all sin and rebellion. Another name for this place is called Gehenna. Uh, at the close of the great white throne judgment of God, this will be the home of the wicked. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. Satan will be, <clears throat> will be there for all eternity and will be tormented day and night forever and ever, having no rest. Also, Hades and Sheol will be cast into the eternal hell. Those who inhabit Hades and Sheol will be resurrected to face the great white throne judgment of God. Then they will be cast into the lake of fire. In the end, the wicked, Satan, fallen angels, and sin will have their part in the lake of fire forever and ever. Listen, this is an eternal judgment. This is the eternal hell. Satan will be there, fallen angels there, and also mankind Wicked, those who have rejected God, they will be cast into the lake of fire, spirit, soul, and body. They will be there for all, all eternity. So these are the five compartments of hell the Bible gives us. Now we're going to look at, is hell eternal? And I'm going to show you based on scripture that this place is, is, is real, it's eternal. You know, I, I remember I had an I read an article at that time uh, from the Seventh-day Adventists that actually uh, they gave 10 reasons to reject eternal torture. Uh, they had another article that said, when hell burns out. Uh, and again, it prompted me to go, you know, look from the scripture in reference to hell being eternal. So I'm going to give you some examples from, from the scriptures where Jesus is going to literally let us know that hell is eternal. So the first scripture I want to give you here is found in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 8. Jesus said, he said, to be cast into everlasting fire. How long is everlasting? Everlasting is everlasting. Uh, the hell fires of, of hell is, is eternal. Here's another one, Matthew chapter 25, verse number 46. Jesus said, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Again, how long is everlasting? Everlasting is everlasting. So not only are the fires of hell uh, eternal and everlasting, 
but even the punishment and the torments of hell is eternal or everlasting. Here's another one, Revelation chapter 20, verse number 10. This is giving reference to Satan. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go forward here. But it says, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So they'll be tormented forever and ever, okay? Here's another one, Revelation chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. Here the scripture says, and the smoke of their torments ascended up forever and ever, and they shall have no rest day nor night. Again, the smoke ascends up forever and ever. The Bible says, and they shall have no rest day nor night. So hell is eternal. Not only hell, but also the judgments of hell are eternal also. Now what I'm going to do, I'm going to take you a step further, and I'm going to let the scripture prove to you that hell is eternal. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring in our chart here. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 19, verse number 20. Revelation 19, 20 is uh, during the time of the battle of Armageddon. This is when Jesus actually defeats Antichrist and the false prophet. And what we're going to see here is that uh, before the millennial reign of Christ begin, uh, at Armageddon, Jesus is going to uh, take the Antichrist and false prophet, and he will cast them alive into the lake of fire. And then I'm going to go on to explain what's going to happen. So look at chapter 20, I mean, chapter 19, verse 20 of the book of Revelation. John wrote this, And the beast, or the Antichrist, was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire and brimstone. So at the uh, end of Armageddon, in the Armageddon uh, battle, the Antichrist and his false prophet will be gathered and taken alive, the Bible says, and cast into the lake of fire, burning with fire and brimstone. Now, what's going to happen? This is right before Satan uh, 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 Satan is, uh, is cast there, but the Antichrist false prophet will be cast into hell. Now, I'm going to show you a thousand years later uh, uh, when Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, you know, and we know that he's going to be uh, bound in the bottomless pit during the thousand year millennial reign, but then God's going to release him, Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. And then in chapter 20, verse 10, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. But we're going to see here that the Antichrist and false prophet, they were cast a thousand years before Satan gets there. Now, if, if a person burns up and, and hell is not eternal, when Satan is cast there, the Antichrist and false prophet shouldn't be there, right? Well, look what the scripture is going to reveal to us. This is Revelation chapter 20, verse number 10. John wrote this, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Look at this where the beast, as the Antichrist, and false prophet are. Now, uh, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, look at this. The Antichrist and false prophet will ca were, were cast into the lake of fire at the beginning of the millennial reign. And then at the end of the millennial reign, Satan will be released for a short season. Then God's going to judge him and cast him a thousand years later into the lake of fire. But guess what? When Satan gets there, the Bible says the beast or the Antichrist and false prophet, they are still there. Why didn't these men burn up? If, if you're going to burn up, if, if, if the fire is not eternal and the, the punishment not eternal, why didn't these men burn up? A thousand years later, when Satan come there, the Antichrist and false prophet will still be burning. So here the scripture is showing us that hell is eternal. The judgments are eternal. The punishment is eternal as well. Now, we're going to move a step further because we're coming down to a close here. I want to show you where is hell located in the scripture. You know, the Bible literally tells us where hell is located. Many people didn't know that. I'm going to show you hell is located in the scriptures. So I'm going to give you a, a, an account here in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verses 32 and 33. Now, let me give you a little background behind it. This is when God is going to do a new thing in the earth when he judged Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. These were some of the elders of Israel who challenged Moses' authority. And Moses tells these men, he said, listen, if you die a natural death, then God didn't call me because you challenge the authority. You know, they saying that Moses, you know, he, he anointed his brother Aaron, so it's a family thing, you know. And Moses said, okay, could you challenge me? If you die a natural death, 
then I'm not called to do this. He said, but if God do a new thing, he said, you're going to know that I've been called of God. So what happened, God did a new thing that day, and he judged Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, not only them, but their family, their children, their, their, ha- their, their animals, their, everything pertaining to them. God judged them, but in judging them, God is going to show us where hell is located. So we're going to pick up with the judgment here. This is number 1632. The scripture reads, And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them, and their houses, and all men that pertain to Korah, and all their goods. Verse 33, they and all that pertain to them went down alive into the pit, or into Sheol. This is the Hebrew word Sheol, into Sheol, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. Where is hell? Hell is located in the center of the earth. And we're going to see a scripture. There will be other scriptures that are going to basically testify to that. Hell is in the center of the earth. Let's go a little forward. I'm going to give you another one. Look at this. This is the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, verse number 22. And uh, this, this is an amazing, amazing little prophecy here because uh, many scholars believe that, that this could be a deterrent for mankind ever choosing to sin again in the new world. So let's look at this. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. The prophet wrote, God saying, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I shall make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Verse 23. And it shall come to pass from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Now this, this, is, this is in the new world, the new heavens and new earth. Upon the new heaven, new earth, the Bible is talking about what's going to happen from one new, one new moon to, to another. We're going to go and worship God. But God is going to reveal something that's so amazing here. Look at verse number 24. He said, and they shall go forth. These are those, us that are coming to worship God. And they shall go forth, isn't that this? And look upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be an an abhorring unto all flesh. This is an amazing passage. This is letting us know that somewhere in the new world, Mankind will be able to look into the heart of the earth and see those that are being tormented. This is a, a, a scary verse, but it's a true verse because it's scripture. This is doing the new heavens and new earth. The Bible says that men will be able to look and see the carcasses of men that have transgressed against God. Many scholars believe that this could be a deterrent for men ever sinning in the new world. Again, this is an amazing, amazing passage here. Now, let me give you another one here. Look at this. We're showing you that hell is in the heart of the earth. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 40. You remember the account about, about uh, Jonah? Well, Jesus is going to give us an account about Jonah, but it's going to also tell us about hell. Look at this. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 40. Jesus said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We know that Jesus went down before he had to descend before he ascended. He went down to hell, and it's clear. Jesus said, as Jonah was in the well for three days, three nights, so shall the Son of Man be. Uh, he talking about you know, hell, again, being in the heart of the earth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses ten and 9 and 10, the apostle Paul wrote this. He says, for what is it? but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. So when Jesus, he had to go down first before he went up to heaven. And we know that 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 happened as a result of his death. Uh, He was was crucified, but he had to descend first. he He paid redemption price for us. So he descended into the heart of the earth. And, and here's another one. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 3. The Bible says here, And no man in heaven, nor in the earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Now, this Matthew, I mean, Revelation 5 here, where uh, they, they're giving praise and honor, and they're saying that nobody was worthy to take the book out of God's hand. But it's amazing, it said, no man in heaven, no man on earth, and no man under the earth, meaning that those that are in hell was able to take the book from God's hand. Only Jesus Christ was the only one worthy. What I'm doing, I'm showing you, saints, that hell is in the heart of the earth. Now, 
we're going to close with this last part looking at uh, Satan's end in hell or the end of Satan in hell. Satan will spend eternity in hell and the scriptures are quite clear. Look at this, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. The scripture reads, thou, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of earth. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation uh, in the sides of the north. I will ascend above, above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. This was Satan's mistake. He, he lifted up himself above God. But the scripture says, how art thou fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Here we're going to see that the Bible prophesies Satan's fall. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 15, 16. The scripture says, yet... Shall thou be brought down to hell? Satan will be brought down to hell to the sides of the north, I mean, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look at thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that caused the earth to tremble, that did shake the nation? You know, when Satan is cast into hell, the Bible says the inhabitants of hell, those people that are there, they're not burning up. The inhabitants there in hell, they're going to narrowly look at him and they're going to say, Is that the man that caused the earth to tremble? Here, Satan will be cast into hell. The devil is afraid of hell, but he don't want, he don't want you to know that. He don't want you to know that he's going to be there. I mean, that, 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 that he's afraid of it. Here, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and this is one of my favorite passages in the scripture. Uh, whenever the devil starts messing with me, I start quoting this scripture because this is, this is a prophecy on the devil's judgment. Revelation 20, verse number 10. Jesus uh, talking and, and he's giving John this revelation. The Bible says here, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, he's going to be there forever and ever. This is a, this is a place of judgment. Uh, he will not escape this place. Uh, hell is real. It's a reality. And again, we must understand it. You know something? It was not God's will for mankind or for you to go there. All you have to do today, my friend, is receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you receive him, the Bible says you shall be saved and you'll miss this place. You know, Jesus believed in hell so real that he took upon him the form of man. He took our sins and he went to the cross to die for us so we can miss this place called hell. Many people that go to hell, they're gonna realize that God did everything in his power to save them. And all they had to do was believe on Christ and they would have life. So I wanna to say to you, my friend, today is the accepted day if you're not born again. I wanna to say to you, all you have to do is simply cry out and accept Jesus. Believe in his death, burial and resurrection and you shall have life. I wanna close with a prayer. Father, we love you and I thank you for this word. I pray that this message to God will touch the hearts of those that hear it. Lord, if, those are, if there are those who are not saved, Lord, let it challenge them to receive Jesus today as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, if there's many Christians that are watching, let it uh, uh, challenge them to firm up their walk with you and give them a burden for a lost world. Now, Lord, we love you and we thank you for the word of truth. And we love you for your mercy by giving us Jesus Christ. We thank you and we love you now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.